0: Hello, let's join Fred Kuhn in another problem-solving interview. Welcome, everybody. We have a very interesting show today, and our guest is Norm Allgood. Norm has educated and worked and dedicated nearly two decades of his career to expanding access to quality, affordable programs to underserved populations. In 2011, he founded Synergis Education, a mission-driven company that partners with colleges and universities to design, launch, and grow innovative online blended programs of distinction. If you want to know more about Norm and what he's doing, be sure and go to the guest biography section of the website. Norm, welcome to the show. Thank you, Fred. So let's talk just briefly about what you see as the landscape in the educational community, especially the graduate schools today?
1: You know, what we have really seen over the last, call it, eight years, is a, a shift, a switch to entirely different industries. So back in the day, Fred, you would see students coming into programs, particularly leading into the Great Recession, 2007, 2008, 2009. They were still going after traditional MBA programs that has been the, the big identifier for executives to, to, to achieve that would allow them to move up in their organizations, get a substantial pay raise, move into another organization with promotion or, or a new job. That's no longer the case that we're seeing today. We're seeing that those types of degrees are going away, at least at an on-ground or even a blended level or an executive series level, and that online is picking up some of them, but most of those students that used to get the MBA are now focusing in on other degrees or other stackable credentials that are not necessarily a degree to allow them to advance in their career.
0: Give me a couple examples, Norm. What are stackable credentials?
1: A stackable credential is something that you're not necessarily going to go and get college uh, credits for it could be a certificate or a program that you're taking that teaches you about data analytics or that teaches you about uh, financial planning and analysis or that helps you with um, data security anything along those lines that are very hot buttons and hot topics in a very fast-moving business world that people just don't have time to sit, you know, for two years in a classroom and learn about, because by the time they get out, they've, you know, the data and and the policies and the procedures have already passed them by. So they're, they're getting them in four month increments. And then they're, they're taking them and they're saying, I need a little bit of this and then a little bit of that. And I'm going to have these four stackable credentials, and then I'm going to go work for farmers insurance and move through that organization.
0: Let me ask you this. Let's follow that in two tracks. First, I'm going to move through the organization. Let's use Farmers. Let's use any other larger company looking for that database analytics measurement and somebody who can really do that and tell them what the data is. Aren't they going to hit a bump point at some point where that college degree or that master's degree is going to differentiate? Are you saying that really is projected to be a thing of the past? Education
1: will have to be a continuous journey, not a destination. And the MBA for many years was a destination. You finished, you were done, you had your MBA. And in today, continuous education has to be what takes root. In memorization of how to do a balance sheet or a statement of cash flows or an income statement or or something along those lines, it's no longer necessary in in a data-rich environment that we live in today. If I wanna know what different types of things like EBITDA or GAAP accounting or anything along those lines stand for, or internal rates of return, I could sit here and in 10 minutes give you 50 different examples off of the internet with downloadable Excel spreadsheets. Now, are you going to be an expert in it? No. But did you have to memorize it? Absolutely not. Where you really are are heading now is, is, if the information is available at your fingertips, why do you need to memorize it? What you need to be able to do is create a critical thinker that is hungry to learn more and more and more. And that's where a lot of these companies, they're starting to do a lot of their own internal training. They're not satisfied with what they're receiving from you know some some of the educators out there. And these stackable credentials, they're short, they're sweet. They allow them to really get their arms around some particular subject matter, but also dive headlong into the subject matter and stay very relevant because we call it kind of being in the zone. When you're when you're playing basketball and you're actually out on the court and you're in the flow of the game, you're going to have a lot more knowledge about the pace of it than when you're sitting on the bench. And so the bench could be equated to that four-month class that you get, then you're into the game. And once you're into the game, you're staying current on data security breaches, or you're staying current on the financial planning and analysis stage, and you're staying current on all of those other things. But the minute you back up from that and you get out of the game, then you probably have to layer in other stackable credentials to get back into the game. Things are moving so fast. Unless you're in the zone, you're not going to be able to maintain that that knowledge base.
0: I said we would follow two tracks, and thank you for track one. Track two on that, my question is, Won't there eventually be certifications that are the equivalent of at Harvard or Dartmouth or Stanford or some that are better than others, schools that deliver them are better than others, and you wind up in that hierarchy again of excellence or perceived excellence?
1: Yes and no. There are very good programs at all of the institutions that you just said. They come with a significant price point. But even those institutions are getting into stackable credentials and uh, non-for-credit courses that executives can attend so that they can sharpen this off and go you know, you know further in their career.
0: Well let's help the audience understand a little bit. You're an online program manager, which means that you work with universities and institutions of higher education to help them do what? What is it that that this OPM does? What what does that
1: mean? Well I can speak, you know, OPM in a larger scale signs agreements with colleges and universities to help them do online programs that they probably don't have the expertise or the technical backing to be able to do on their own. So not all colleges and universities understand moving the classroom from face-to-face learning to a digital format and what is required and what has to happen with that. And not everybody understands once you have it in that digital environment, how do you actually recruit students to come into the the program. And once they're into the program, how do you help with retention? Because it's very different than being face-to-face with the students. And so what you've seen over the last 20 years are companies come into the fold that have really helped colleges and universities fill in those knowledge gaps behind the scenes, but also fill in those financial gaps. And, you know, I'll have, you know, conversations with institutions. And they're like, well, why can't we do this on our own? And I'll say, you can do this on your own. If you have three to $5 million that you could invest. And if you have people on your staff that have the knowledge base to be able to come to, you know, this problem and help you solve it. And that's usually one of the biggest things that they have to overcome is financially, how do I launch these online programs? Because they're very costly to do initially, but once they're up and running, you know, they can help institutions tremendously. But where Synergist kind of takes a different approach is we're not looking to just do online programs. We do online blended and on ground, which allows us to really get into pre-licensure nursing programs. And so even though we fall into the OPM category, Fred, we are different in the sense that we approach pre-licensure nursing as as a degree that really helps. And we're not looking to supplant the university with our services. We're looking to basically come behind them and help them pick out these niche programs that they can run in addition to the courses they already offer or the programs they already offer, and they complement each other very well.
0: Let's go back to one of the statements that you made, and it was to help the universities uh, increase their retention rate in these online programs. What is the what is the fall off in online is it more or less than the classroom if it's more how do you because they have so many distractions they don't have in the classroom they have challenges in the classroom right they they have to drive there they have to get there they have to be there they have to all kinds of weather all those physical things and many emotional things we've watched on television and interviews and stuff The online, though, the distractions are, would seem to me to be multiple. And unless someone's very disciplined, then how do you help increase, how does a university increase its retention in online learning?
1: Well, you know, it really begins with the recruitment process and preparing the students to to be in online. And understanding that student or prospective student is as much of a consumer as they are a student or prospective student coming into the program. And what I mean by that is, is by the time they go ahead and, and start to reach out and fill out lead forms to get into some of these online programs, they've already made their decision of what their top five is. And typically they're going to go with the institution that reaches back out to them the fastest. So retention begins, not just in the classroom, it begins with retaining the prospective student. And so, where a lot of colleges and universities you know have fallen down in the past, they were like, "Well, that's not a consumer. That's not a customer, that's a student." And I will give them that once they're in the classroom. But before that, you can't make them wait to give you their money. they're They're wanting to give you significant monies, and you're going to make them wait to do that. and the And the institutions that have figured it out, Arizona State is a perfect example. They have built an infrastructure around that student so that from the moment, They inquire, they receive almost a concierge-type service getting into the program, and then once they're in the program, they have different, you know, analytics, and we do the same types of things where we say, okay, did the student attend orientation? Has the student been in the classroom and posting on the message boards? Are they commenting? Are they turning in their homework? Are they interacting with the faculty member? And there is all sorts of analytical programs that allow us to gauge that. And then from a retention standpoint, you begin to work with the faculty and the chairman or the chairs of the programs to say, okay, these, this particular student looks like he's struggling. This whole group of students appears to be struggling in pharmacology. Let's go back and look at the curriculum. Where, are there, where is the bottleneck happening? And can we do a minor or a major rewrite of this particular online program to address the needs of the students so that they're not leaving, but also get to a point where their outcomes are very much, you know, in line with where we want them to be. So there's a lot of levers, Fred, that you need to pull and a lot of windows you need to look through to do this, very different than in the classroom. You can't read body language. You can't say whether or not the student is showing up for class is easy. There's so many other tools that you have to really get to and we call it informed technology. It allows us to look at a whole bunch of different variables and make informed decisions. On, on the students overall and where we are seeing obstacles and how we can help them overcome them.
0: I have one more question for you. I, I'm, I'm looking at the kinds of things you're suggesting as, as a speedboat and I'm looking at the institutions, the large institutions as a battleship that takes a mile and a half to make a turn. Are they gonna be able or capable of making a quicker turn or redoing their systems? What's your projection?
1: I think the, the ability to move quickly and be agile, it doesn't impact the larger institutions as much as it does the smaller to medium-sized institutions and the larger institutions have a lot more slack in their line to not move quickly, not to say that they're exempt from it, but they, they really have that cushion. Whereas if I'm a small to medium-sized institution, You know, we see a thinning of the herd already happening where these small to medium-sized institutions that didn't react or didn't fix the roof while the sun is shining are going away. And there's just a a tremendous, I mean, I predicted back in 2012 that over the next seven years, you know, we would see, you know, anywhere from three to 500 institutions closing or merging. And, you know, we're really on pace with that. But it's not the Harvards and the Dartmouths and the Duke.
0: Well, you told me that, and there are some surprising names in that list that are closing.
1: Well, or they're they either closing or they're closing. Yeah, I mean, so you know, the University of Wisconsin Madison is you know getting rid of you know the the MBA on ground. They're they're looking at it and saying, why are we doing this right now when it could be online, or where there really isn't you know the population of students that have the type of academic credentialing coming into the program that we used to receive in the past.
0: Yeah, that's another whole subject.
1: (laughs) That's another whole podcast subject. Sure, sure, absolutely. You know, and then you see where Arizona State's gone from, you know, 40,000 students back in 2012 up to 60,000 plus in 2016, you know, and that's just in their online programs. So, you know, there's a lot of consideration sets on that.
0: Well, folks, we have been listening to Norm Allgood with Synergis, education and as a founder centers this education and what a great program i hope we can uh, schedule another podcast at in a future date norm to follow some of the lines of thinking here
1: yeah it would be wonderful to talk about where where students are actually heading and and, and earning their their stack of the credentials or their degrees and, and earning the types of dollars that really allow them to survive in an ever-changing economy
0: So there you heard it, folks. Keep tuned. We'll continue on this subject. Norm, thank you very much for joining us today. You bet. Thank you for visiting with us. We welcome your comments and suggestions and look forward to having you join us soon at Workplace Strategies.